And understand this. You don't understand every little portion of your life. You can't really say what you're going to do tomorrow unless it's God's will. You can plan, but the, see, the thing is, you don't know what will happen tomorrow. You don't even know if you'll be here tomorrow. But God knows. So he gives us a little bit at a time, but sometimes we can't put it all together. But the one that we're walking with is the one that we trust. And we're trusting him and his faithfulness to us. We only see a little of what God is going to do. We only see a little bit of it, of what God's going to do. We don't catch the whole picture right off the bat. We only see a little bit of it. Now, Zacharias may not have understood all that his son John was going to do. What he did understand, I believe, is this. That God was going to be involved in his life. That God was going to be involved in John's life. Not understanding all that was going to take place in John's life. And we're going to go through John's life some. Not today, but as we continue through, we'll hit a little bit of it. But Zacharias did not understand it all. And he can only interpret his son's life, in a sense, from his own experiences. And his own understanding of what the word may have said. Zacharias may have thought his son was going to be a great priest. Was going to really follow in his footsteps. Why? He's born into a priestly family. And John may have, boy, he's going to be great. Because God has already done something great. God's done something that me and my wife, my wife and I, have not been able to do for a number of years. He's given us a son. He's given us a son. God's going to do something great. God's going to do something great. And it seemed like he would do something great in the temple. And that he would be a great priest in the temple. Doing the work there. I don't think John could ever imagine his son being outside of the temple. And there's that possibility that when John began to preach that his mom and dad may not have been living. Because the scripture already had declared that they were old and up in age. And John didn't start preaching till somewhere in his late 20s. No one 
The only thing Zechariah could see is him preaching out in the desert land. When you got this glorious temple here, one of the magnificent buildings of the world. And John's going to be preaching out in the desert land. I don't think he had ever imagined his son being in prison or saw his son in prison. I don't think he never had the thought that his son would be beheaded. And I'm quite sure, even with his own mannerism and his own life, that if he knew that his son was going to challenge Herod about his marriage, he would advise, boy, be quiet. Don't do that. And here's John. Not yet born. But like every parent, somewhat dream for your child. Somewhat hoping for your child. Now, in Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 79, we're going to see some of Zacharias. And what Zacharias first does, because something great has happened in his life. Something takes place. Something takes place. Because something great has taken place. Let me name this. Two great things have taken place in John's life if you go back in and read that text. One, I don't think John was accustomed to seeing angels. <laughs> but here's an angel appears to him while he's serving in the temple and speaks to him about his wife bringing forth a son. That was a great thing in John's life. He didn't understand it, didn't know how it was going to take place. And his little debate with the angel, I'm old, my wife is old. But yet an angel spoke to him. The second great thing Is his son being born? And John is able to speak again and say, His name is John. Zechariah is able to speak, His name is John. Those two great things had to impact that man's life. Not understanding everything, but he understood what was happening to him. And because it was happening to him, something happens in his life. 
So that when it says in that verse, 67, his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, and then in 68, praise be to the Lord. Praise be to the Lord. And then he starts off with what this praise is. But remember, two things are going to happen. He's going to prophesy about his son later. But here now, he's going to praise the Lord for what God has done. Vic, after this came out of surgery, did you kind of praise the Lord? When you go through some things and, and, and things just happen to you in life, boy, when it ends somewhat, you kind of, Praise him. Even if we just use the words, praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. But we pause for a moment and we acknowledge him. And this is what Zacharias is doing. But I think he also gives us another little picture here. Praise comes because people are filled with what? The Holy Spirit. No Holy Spirit, no praise for God. But Holy Spirit, there is praise. There is joy. Because it's the Holy Spirit who gives us a little insight of what's taking place and what has taken place. That we can acknowledge and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for meeting my needs. Thank you for being there. Thank you for being my comforter during this time. I've been with a lot of people sometimes during death. And it's something how each person experiences death. You can never understand or feel what that person's feeling. But the thing is, is this. God somehow holds them together. And he says, he was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, and praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. And that's where I think Zacharias is at. So he sees everything in the light of Israel. And what God has promised Israel. And that's okay because, see, there are some points in here that we're going to look at for ourselves. Because, see, he didn't see God reaching other nations, seeing God reach the Gentile people, seeing God going further. He stopped with Israel, in a sense. But that's his training. That's what he's been taught. And that's where he's at. And we'll see it in the text. He is filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesies and he praises. The praise, he has come. He has come. Purpose has redeemed his people. And he put it in the past, past tense, not in the present. As though it already have what? Happened. He praised God. Lesson here. 
even though you're still in the midst of your circumstance and your crisis, praise him and even tell yourself, this has what? Pass. I love that little scripture in the This too shall pass. This too shall pass. Why? It won't get you stuck. It allows you to know, yes, as the folks were singing the song, the storm is what? Passing over. But you're in the storm. But you know, eventually the storm is going to do what? Pass on over. The purpose, he says, is to redeem his people. Now, when he uses the word his people, who is he referring to? Israel. Israel. Who was oppressing them? Rome. Who was their enemy at this time? Rome. One author brings up all Israel is not under Rome. Only the last two tribes. Because Assyrian took the other ten tribes where? Long time ago. And here's only the two tribes under Rome. And couldn't I maybe identify the other ten tribes? But the thing is, is this, from John's perspective, he has redeemed His people. His people. Stay with me now. And he simply says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. When we drop down in verse 69, he makes another powerful statement. But again, I don't think he understands the totality of that statement. In verse 69, he says, He has raised up a horn of salvation. That horn represents strength. That horn represents strength. That the salvation that's coming is going to be a salvation that is strong, that is mighty. He raised up a horn of salvation. And he says, in the house of his servant who? Look how he refers back again to who? Israel. We see a little of it. We don't see it what? We don't see it all. We see a little of Akron Alliance Fellowship life. We don't see it all. We see the beginning and we see what God has done, but we don't see it what? We don't see it all. We see where we're at at this present time, but we don't see the rest of it. And he says, from the house of David. He says in that verse 71, salvation from our what? That, that is real life for him. That's real life for him. He's living under the rule 
alone. He's living under someone suppressing him. Rome. And he says, salvation from our enemies. And understand some Israel had many enemies, but right now it's mainly Rome. And he goes on, he says, and from the hands of all who hate, and look at the plural that he used, us. Referring again to who? Israel. To Israel. And Rome's oppression of them. Now, understand this. And this is where you and I have to understand. It's not just the enemy of our flesh but it's also the enemy of our spirit. And when you look at John 10.10, that Satan comes to kill. What is he talking about? Comes to kill who? Kill our what? Our spiritual life. To rob from us the inheritance that has been given to us by God. To rob from us the promises that God has richly given unto us. And he tells us in Ephesians 6 that we don't war against flesh and blood. But we need to understand. John just saw what? The enemy as Rome in a sense that were oppressing the people. Oppressing him. Now, Zacharias is recalling also. And this is an important lesson for you and I. Zacharias is recalling what the prophets have said long ago. And there's times that you and I need to recall Scripture to ourselves. We need to remind ourselves where promises have been given to us. We need to remind ourselves what God has said. Yes, Jesus is coming again. But many Christians even doubt that. But the promise is that he's coming. That he's coming. And we don't want to lose sight of that. That he's coming again. Because that hope in us of him coming again, it purifies us. It cleanses us. It puts a stopping point in our life for many things that we would do. But the moment I acknowledge Jesus is coming again, it does something in the mind and in the heart and in my actions. And we need to go back sometime and, and understand that God says, I'll continue to work in your life. Constant. God's working in my life. He's involved in my life. It doesn't matter what I'm going through. God is here working in my life. We need to be aware of that. And recall what Scripture says. That the battle is not mine. But it's the Lord's. 
I need to remind myself I'm an overcomer. And it's good to understand this. I win if I live and I win if I die. I'm an overcomer. You have to speak to yourself what Scripture is saying about you and the promises that God has given you. And Zechariah is doing that at this moment. And he begins to recall what the prophets have said. And that enriches his life. That enriches his life. And he says, God is remembering. Well, God hasn't forgotten. But God is remembering his holy covenant. Understand this. All the promises that you'll see in the Bible have a condition. You meet the condition, you got the promise. But there's a condition usually with it. Or we all quote, God will provide all that I have need of. But we don't quote the second part of it. According to his riches in whom? Christ Jesus. That's the condition. That when he looks into your life, does he see the riches of Christ, the love for Christ? What does he see? Now, he says he's remembering his covenant. And and that's something to really take hold of. He says, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. And then drop to 72 before we hit 71. In 72, he says, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. God hasn't forgotten his covenant. But sometimes we forget what we did To lose the promise of what? Of the covenant. We don't see our sinful condition sometimes. We don't see our disobedience. We don't see what it is that will cut off the blessing of God in our lives. We don't see that. One of the things I try to share with my grandchildren... You can miss the blessing of God in your life on how you choose to live. You can miss that. And the way that we live every day and choose to live, we can miss the richness of Christ in our life. We can miss something that God has for us that Satan now has stolen, in a sense. And the whole process, he says, God is remembering? Well, the question you have to ask is this. When have God forgotten? See, God never forgets us, but we do what? We forget him. We forget him. 
He doesn't forget us. We're that little man in the center of his eye. We're the apple of his eye. He's always watching us. He never slumbers nor sleeps. He's always present with us. He's always there. He's never absent from our lives. The question is, are we absent from his life? That we're not living the life he wants us to live or desire us to live. And he said, he's remembering the covenant that he made with our fathers. Now, go to Genesis 16, 18. And I wanted to point out one or two little areas that Zechariah might really be praising the Lord over. And Genesis 22, 16 and 18, because it would be something to get excited about when you look at Israel and you look at what is being stated and, 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 and said here. And then you apply it to your own personal life. And I said, to get excited about it. See, two things about Scripture. You can only see Scripture as history. And then what you say in your mind, that don't affect me. That only affected who? Those folks. That don't affect me. Or you see Scripture as constantly having an effect in some manner, in some way in your life, even if it's no more than affecting how you think and how you behave. See, I had a question in a Bible study here recently, Gnosticism. Well, Gnosticism also held the belief that the outward body can do anything it wanted to do because it didn't touch the spirit of the body. So the outward body could fornicate, it could do this, it could do all the pleasures of this so-called world because it didn't touch the spirit. Hmm. Well, that's heresy. That's false teaching. See? Now, look at Genesis 22, 16 through 18 with me. He says, And said, I swear by myself. God swears by himself. There's nothing higher. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, speaking to Abraham, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. Well, understand something. Abraham couldn't understand that one. I have this one son, no two, and they're going to make my descendants as like the stars in the sky. I can't even count the stars in the sky. That's where faith comes in. And he goes on, he says, and as the sands of the seashore. How many have ever grabbed a hand of sand on a beach? Have you ever tried to count what you just had in your hand? 
and as the sand on the seashore. Catch this now. Your descendants will take possession of the cities. Oh! We're under captivity. Rome. My descendant is going to take captive of those cities, the possession of this city, Jerusalem. Could that have been a thought of Zacharias? That John the Baptist may be the one? Could that have been a thought as he read this? Remember, two strange things have happened to John. To Zacharias. A son is born. The wife is pregnant. The angel appears to him and tells him, going to be John. He is struck dumb for a while. And then on the eighth day in which they are ready to circumcise, they're going to name. And his mouth is opened. Name is John. Name is John. And he goes on and he says, we'll take possession of the cities of their, here's the clincher, of their enemies. Rome is in charge of Jerusalem. And then 18, and through your offspring, if you at all did any personalizing of that, through my offspring, God, you're going to do this? You, you've done this amazing thing out here. Is it possible that you will do this? And that's why St. John, you see him in the constant area of us, the house of David, us, Israel, talking about Israel. Why? That's where his mind is at. That's where his teaching is at. And through your offsprings, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Lord, I've obeyed you. And Lord, you know I was devoted to you. Lord, you've done this great thing. Is it at all possible that this might happen at this time? And the whole process is that area of believing the Lord. And it's, it's moving. Now, catch this little part because I think John gives a, Zacharias gives a little confession of what's going on with the Israelites, with the people at this time and even a part of his own life, he kind of like steps us into it. He says, in verse 74, to rescue us. Now he uses that word us again. The only one he can be referring to is the Jewish people, to Israel, to himself. But catch what he's going to say, because I think he takes us into his life a little bit. He says, to rescue us from the hand of our what? Enemy. 
and to enable. Boy, now, understand what John is saying here. To enable us to serve him without what? Without fear. That God, you're rescuing us. That we might be able to serve you without fear. That we may be able to worship you without fear. You know, going downtown today and learning all the new laws that are affecting church, that's something else. Because we used to have a special zoning permit light or a special code number. But now, all church buildings have been put in what is considered commercial. Because a lot of our church buildings, as they close, they become a commercial building. So zoning don't have to go back through and redo it as commercial if they already present it as a commercial building. So the church now falls under the whole building codes of a commercial building. And the property is now commercial. And we're getting ready to do something. And as I was talking with the architect, he is saying, you're forced to do this because you are a commercial. If you were not commercial, you wouldn't have to do this. But because you are commercial, they're going to make you do this. And he says, what he's going to do is enable us to worship him without fear. To serve him without fear. And you check that verse 75. He says, in holiness and righteousness. In holiness and righteousness. Well, when you go back to Luke 1, boy, it says that here was Elizabeth and here was Zacharias and they were without blame and they were devoted to the Lord. If you check your life, something is hindering you from being holy and completely righteous before God. You have to look at yourself and you have to look at it. What may have hindered Zacharias? That Zacharias says, Lord, you're rescuing us from the hands of our enemies and to enable us. Are you saying, I wasn't enabled before? Now I'm being enabled that I might serve you in holiness and righteousness? What keeps you from living holy? What keeps you as a people from doing what is right? Zacharias knew there was things in his life that hindered his growth. And that's what it does. It hinders our spiritual growth in holiness and righteousness. One, could Zacharias have had hate towards the Romans? Could Zacharias be struggling with those he had to serve with, the Sadducees? They both served in the temple. 
See, in that Old Testament, it wasn't those Sadducees he had to serve with. Now he's having to serve with another group. He had to deal with the rulings of the Sanhedrin. Could he be struggling? Now catch this. The control of the priesthood and all. With the high priest who was not what? Jewish. How many of you allow Trump to hinder your spiritual growth? How many of you may think wrongly of President Trump? How many of you really hold him up in prayer? Because Scripture tells us we need to pray for those who are what? Over us. Tells us to pray for our leaders in government. Is that being hindered because of who's in the office? See, God didn't say based on who's in the office. He just tells me to what? Do it. And if I don't do it because there's something about this individual I don't care about, I'm hurting my own spiritual growth. Can you catch the similarity? Or even this new Supreme Court justice. I was sharing with my wife. Too much controversy. We should have went to another person. Just because of all the controversy. Because that controversy is going to the Supreme Court and it's going to cause people to look at the Supreme Court as something different now. And this country, as we keep doing that, I told my wife, as we were watching yesterday, and seeing people sitting up on the statues and disrespecting it and doing what they were doing, I said years ago that would have never happened. But what we are seeing, in a sense, a form of anarchy beginning to take place and take root. That is going to change America. Dr. Levinson used to say, America will fall into anarchy and will not be the leaders of the world. Or America will hit total bankruptcy. Or America itself will be occupied by a foreign country. One of those three options. And what we are seeing more than anything is the anarchy and the rebelliousness. Okay to demonstrate, but you do it respectfully. And the whole issue. He said, I might myself be hindered in my spiritual growth because how I feel about the Romans 
the Sadducees, their rules over us, and the high priest that is over the temple. Now, he gives praise for what God's going to do in the deliverance part. Jacob, you got to get up. You go ahead and get up. And the whole process now, he turns to John, his son. He praised God for rescuing them. He's praising God for delivering them. He's praising God for what he perceived God is going to do. And now he prophesies about his son, and he talks about this son that is not yet born. That is not yet, in a sense, born. That he really don't know. He's born, don't know him. He's alive, don't know him. He says in that verse 76, he says, and you, may, and you, my child, will be called the prophet, the prophet of the Most High. Now, John was put in good company if you really check scripture. Because even the Pharisees, you know, they asked John, are you the one that we were looking for? Are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? Are you Jeremiah? Are you one of the great prophets? John was placed in good company. When people see you, what kind of company do they place you in? Who might people compare you with? And he says... He's going to be a prophet of the Most High. And John, boy, he's going to be in the temple and he's going to serve God and he's going to be a great priest of the Most High. John didn't, Zacharias didn't see him out in the wilderness with camel hair. And eating locusts. He sees a different picture maybe. But this is the thing that he does know. God's going to be with him. Because of who he's serving. The most high. You may not know what your children are going to become, but the greatest satisfaction is this. They're walking with the Lord. And if they're walking with the Lord and they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the comforting. I don't know what all they're going to be, but it's dreadful to think the other way, that they don't know the Lord. And if something happens to them, where they wind up at. But John understood that he would be a servant of the Most High God. In that verse 77, boy, it fits us. 
it says, because, I'm sorry, to give his people knowledge of salvation. Now, now catch this. John's purpose is only to give them what? Knowledge. John does not have the ability to give them what? Salvation. He does not have the ability to give them salvation. He only has the ability to give them what? Knowledge of salvation. Guess what you and I have? We have the ability to give people knowledge of salvation. We do not have the ability to save them. To save them. We have the ability of telling people Christ is coming again. We have the ability in preparing the way of the second coming of the Lord that, hey, Jesus is coming. You need to get saved. You need to know him for yourself. We have that ability. What we do not have is the ability to save them. We have the ability to give them knowledge of salvation. But they have to what? Act on it. They have to act on that knowledge. And one of the ways that you see if they're acting on it, if any man is in Christ, they are what? A new creature. Old things are what? Passing away. Behold, all things are what? Becoming new. And you begin to hear something out of their mouth that you never thought you would hear. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You begin to hear something different. And he says, boy, he passes on that knowledge. How's that going to start with? This is where I think God begins to make his change. And he uses it with John. Before when you would confess your sins, what might you do? You get your turtle dove if you were poor, or you get your lamb, or you get your gift, and you would head off to where? To the temple, or to a priest that did the sacrificing. And there would confession be made, in a sense. And boy, because you have made the sacrifice, your sins now are taken care of, in a sense. An example of what was going to take place when Jesus comes. God takes John and Zacharias, just know this, he's going to move him out by the Jordan in Judea in the wilderness. People are coming to him without a turtle dove. People are coming to him without a lamb. People are coming to him without any sacrifice. But they are confessing their sin, which is the first step towards forgiveness. The first step in accepting Jesus Christ. He started to condition people to deal with 
their sin and confessing their sin without a sacrifice. And they themselves then talking with God. And he baptized them in showing forth in a sense the evidence that they have confessed their sins. The whole process is the people learning a different way of discovering forgiveness with God other than going through the temple. Now, you would go to that temple Lay your sacrifice down. The priest would do his thing. Sprinkle blood and so forth. Because without the shedding of blood, there would be no what? Remission of sin. The remission of your sin is the cancellation of the debt for that sin. You mean I can go and be forgiven without a turtle dove? I can go and be forgiven without this sacrifice. I can go and be forgiven. Remember one of the things where the temple was making a good little penny was off the sacrifices that were being sold there. And now you can come and receive it freely. And in verse 78, I like that. Because he talks about the rising of the sun. The rising of the sun. The rising of, a, of the sun means a new day. A brand new day. Something totally different. I'm not looking at yesterday. When I see the rising of the sun, I'm looking at a complete what? New day. And in that verse 78, he simply says, because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. Something totally different, something totally new that God is going to work. We know the old, but here comes something new. We know what used to be, but here comes something new and something different because of the rising of the sun. It will be something new and different. And because of this one who's going to share knowledge, remember all knowledge before was in the synagogues and in the temple. That's where you really got your learning from. Now we're going to learn from this guy called John the Baptist. We're going to learn from him. We're going to learn from his preaching. What's his credentials? He's not in the temple. He's not a priest. He's not a Sadducee. He's not a lawyer. What's his credential? Look how he's dressed. 
He lives out in the desert land and the wasteland. If, if he was really a man of God, God would honor him with fine clothing and, and nice house. And even Jesus made that comparison. Verse 79, he says, to shine on those living in darkness. When you're ignorant of God's word and God's plan for your life, when you're ignorant of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you live under the darkness of Satan. You live not having the knowledge that God desires you to have. And one of the crippling effects of the church is this. We choose to stay in darkness rather than knowledge because we miss all the Bible studies. We miss all the teaching opportunities. We choose to do that. But when you put yourself under the word of God, light bulbs begin to go off in your life. Because the word of God is going to shine into the dark areas of your life. The word of God begins to take root where you were once ignorant. Now you become alive. Because you are now sharing in the knowledge of God about life. Knowledge of yourself. Knowledge of God knowledge of how you should live. So many Christians name to be Christians, but don't know how to live a Christian life. That's one of the reasons why we have so many fights in churches. Because we don't teach in a sense, you don't bring guns to church and threaten the pastor. The reason I know that, because that was a reality for us down in Georgia. <laughs> The whole process, you fight against each other. When you really learn how to behave as a Christian and your conversation, your behavior, you begin to live like Christ, not like the flesh. That's why the scripture says we don't war after the what? After the flesh. We don't fight like the flesh. We don't have the same mentality of people of the flesh. Why? We have knowledge. And John is going to disperse knowledge. You don't have to go to the temple with your sacrifice to be forgiven. Just come. He says, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. Turn with me just before we close. 1 Corinthians 15. Death is one of the things yet today many of us are still fearful of. Because we don't know what takes place after death. So in 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to pick up in verse 54. When the perishable 
has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortality. Then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Catch this now in 55. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your what? When you get stung by a bee, do you know it? And the fear of death sometimes, what, stings us. And God has not given us the spirit of what? Of fear. Remember one of the things that Zacharias spoke about? Worshiping you, how? In fear. That oppression part that's there. And he goes on and he says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Something that is yet to come through Zacharias. And the whole thing is, yes, the rising of the sun. Where the shining of knowledge is shining in the darkness. People, you may think you know the word. You may think that you're saved. But you need to really examine and look at your life. But when you look at it, don't compare your life with my life or with Jasper's life or with Charles's life or with this person's life. Put the word of God in front of you and compare your life. Let the knowledge that's in that word bring light where there's darkness. And it will do it. And if you would say to the Holy Spirit, Spirit, teach me, you might be shocked of what will take place. When you ask the Holy Spirit to carry out his purpose in our lives, teach me, teach me. For the scripture says, you have not need to be taught by man. Because there is the Holy Spirit who will confirm God's teaching and give you light as you gather knowledge. As you gather the knowledge. Amen? Hope that you see Zacharias and John just a little bit as we keep studying John's life. Zacharias had dreams for his son in a sense, maybe. But he didn't know all that John was going to go through. He knew John was going to prepare the way of the Lord, but he, he couldn't see that picture how that was going to happen. Is that in the temple in the desert? Where? As you raise your children and grandchildren, <coughs> you want to anchor them in the Lord. <coughs> what you can't see, God sees.
Father, we thank you for your word and how your word opens up to us. And we pray, Father, that because, Lord, of the things that you may do in our life, that we find ourselves as a people constantly praising you and giving you thanks <coughs> because you're involved in our life. <coughs> and you're working in our lives. And you are worthy of our praise. And may we learn to praise you, Lord, even when you're doing nothing in our life because we have the knowledge of you. And if you do nothing, you are still worthy of our praise. May you bless us as your people. And may you grow us. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.